This episode is from a life class that Shakti Durga taught in 2019. She explains stories and concepts of post-Vedic Hindu mythology with a focus on Shiva, infinite consciousness. Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. So let's have a look at Lord Shiva now. So we looked at Saraswati and do you remember the relationship between Shiva and Saraswati? Brother and sister arising from the one cosmic egg laid by Adishakti, who sometimes is depicted as a snake. Anyway, so Lord Shiva is one of the gods in the Vedic or post-Vedic pantheon who's a big deal. There's probably, probably in India, uh, Vishnavites would outnumber the Shaivites. The Vishnavite is someone who follows Vishnu or mainly they follow his incarnation as Krishna and Krishna consciousness in India is probably the biggest of the sects. Over there, if you say, what sect do you belong to? You're not trying to be offensive. You're just curious about what, you know, which cult are you from, they'll say. Which cult are you from? And the first time I went, cult? Cult? What do you mean? I'm not in a cult. <laughs> uh, but then I realised that this was their language for, well, are you in the Durga cult or the Saraswati cult or the culture? You know, which one do you like? And they're really curious to know. So anyway, Shiva's is still a big one. So there's the Vishnavites, the Shaivites, those who follow the Divine Mother, so for instance, any Narayani followers are there, and the Ganesha followers would be the main camps, I suppose, in post-Vedic India. So let's turn our attention to what the Shaivites are on about. Lord Shiva is often depicted as white or blue, and uh, that's a statue of Lord Shiva that existed on the banks of the Ganga River. The, Gang- the Ganges of the Ganga River is a famous river in India. And I'm not sure if you can see on this depiction of him, but on his head here is a little tiny goddess's head with water coming out of the top of her head and dripping down all over Lord Shiva. That is Mother Ganga, a goddess called Ganga, who lives on top of Shiva's head. And she's kind of like the Shakti that brings in the infinite light when Shiva is considered as a pillar of light. So his whiteness is related to his pillar of lightness. His other form is when he's blue. He's often depicted as blue. And blue is a signifies otherworldliness, that you don't need blood. You know, it's like non-human because we have red blood, don't we? We have red flowing through us and so our skin is a little bit pinkish or whatever. But if you don't have any blood running through you, you would not be human. You would be something beyond that. And I guess that's what Shiva is. That's one of the reasons he's blue. There's another story I'll come to later as well. Anyway, Lord Shiva's name is Mahadev. Mahadev means great God. There's lots of songs. You know, Krishna Das does a really good Mahadev song. Was it Hara 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 Mahadev? Hara 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 Mahadev. That one. I really like that song. Go Krishna Das. 
Another name for Lord Shiva is Rudra. Rudra is the destroyer. He always looks like he's having a tantrum. You know, he's destroying things, he's howling. And where he got that name from was that once upon a time, long, long ago and far, far away, Shiva got married to Sati. And Sati was the divine mother. So they get married and they went to live on a mountain in the Himalayas called Mount Kailash. And Mount Kailash is a very holy place in India. Some of you have been there? Anyone been there? The significant thing about Mount Kailash is there's absolutely nothing there. It's above the tree line. It's like a great big, almost pyramid-shaped mountain that is huge and covered with snow much of the year. And the idea of anyone living up there is kind of frankly weird. You know, just, oh, my God, how could you live on top of Mount Kailash? But that's said to be Shiva's abode. And that he goes and meditates there for eons and centuries and millennia. He's just in meditation. So he's the great God who brings forth the unmanifest Purusha or the infinite stuff, and he's kind of channeling it down all the time. His interest is not so much in earthly things. His interest is in meditation. And his gift to the world is yoga. So the study of yoga all comes from Lord Shiva. This is the scriptural base of where yoga comes from. But anyway, when he was married to Sati, things were going well, but she was the daughter of a king. And the king's name was Daksha. And Daksha was a bit of a dope. And he just didn't get that Shiva was God because Daksha was a creation of Brahma. He was quite an egoic king. And he always liked to look good. And he didn't like the fact that his only daughter had married this sloppy-looking, bedraggled guy who didn't have his own palace or his own kingdom and wanted to drag his daughter off to live on top of this stupid mountain in a cave that had water and ice and she, had to, she didn't even have a bath, she didn't have any maids. She had to go down to Lake Mansarava, which was frozen most of the year, to try and even have a bath. So he was not happy about this state of affairs. He had this major festival that he organised, like a, they call him a yagam, and it's a fire festival <coughs> that goes for days and days. And they have, he invited all the deities, all the kings, everyone, the angels, the gods were all invited to this huge yagam, but Shiva wasn't invited. And Sati got terribly offended. And she's going, how dare my father not invite my husband or me to the yoga. She said, I'm going. And Shiva said, don't go. She said, I'm going. He went, fine, fine, you're the goddess, you're doing your life, you know, can't stop you. And so she goes to the yoga. Shiva didn't go. And she just said to her father, why would you be so, you know, crass as to not invite my husband to this big party? And he, and he gave a big rant about all Shiva's deficiencies and also the company he keeps because Shiva keeps company with ghouls and goblins and all sorts of beings. Basically, Shiva will keep company with anyone, but his gig is destruction, so he's got these beings around him that help to take out the bad stuff and they don't look pretty. Anyway, in the end, after this big rant, Sati just said, you're disgusting. I just can't bear to be incarnated as your daughter. She threw herself onto the fire and burned to death. The minute she left her body, Shiva knew 
and he was inconsolably grief-stricken and angry, angry as hell. And he came as Rudra to the Yagam, howling like the fiercest storm, stirring up all the elements. The place became mayhem and bedlam. All the tents and all the buildings just started to blow to pieces. Everyone was running for their lives. And the first thing he did was chuck a thunderbolt at his father-in-law and decapitated him. And then his wife was going, oh, Shiva, what have you done, what have you done? And anyway, so he put a goat's head on him to shut her up and turned him into a goat because he was a silly goat. And um, anyway, so he went, he had his wife's dead body that was charred from the fire and he was howling through the heavens and just inconsolable about this loss. And then they're going, how are we going to stop this? He's going to destroy the world. Like if he's not able to control his destruction energy, none, none of us will actually be here anymore and neither will the world. We've got to stop this. And so all the gods were going, well, what are we going to do? And as usual, they turned to Vishnu, who's quite sensible, and say, Vishnu, come on, what are we going to do? And he said, leave it to me. So he gets on his eagle, which is his um, vehicle, and he goes flying around surreptitiously after Shiva. And he just got a knife and he just starts chopping bits of Sati's body off, just chops off a hand here and an ear there and chop, just chop. She's dead anyway. He just chops a little bit off. And he chops her into 51 pieces and they drop all over India. And then Shiva starts to calm down because there's no dead corpse of his wife anymore in his arms. And he goes back to Mount Kailash and goes back into deep, deep, deep meditation and stays there for eons. And just that's the end of anyone hearing about Lord Shiva. He's just there. But he's but wherever the bits of sati fell to the ground has come what they call Shakti Pithas. And a Shakti Pitha is a place where Shakti is so strong that just going to one of those places can change your life. And so there's a whole group of people, me included, who likes to go to Shakti Pithas because they're amazing. I've been to, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them over the years, and there's one in particular that's my particular beloved Shakti Pitha in Haridwar, which is a town near Rishikesh in the foothills of the Himalayas. And every time I go there, something bizarre happens that is larger than life, metaphysically stretching and bliss-invoking. So it's just a tiny little temple. The temple itself is 10,000 years old, the one that I go to, and they know that because of records you know, in the district. goes back that far. And it's um, said to have buried treasure underneath it. Anyway, I didn't know any of that. The first time I went there, the minute my foot went onto the thing, all the bells in the temple started ringing. You know, these coincidences happen. But it transported me straight into Durga land, and I felt the presence of Shiva, I felt the presence of Durga, and I started to circumambulate the central, because they just have the Devi in the middle in a box-shaped enclosure, and then you go round and round and round. So I started going round, and at one place where I put my foot down, it was riveted to the ground with this electric lightning bolting kind of energy going through me that felt like bliss, and then stronger bliss and stronger bliss. Then I felt my whole body drop down through the ground into this treasure, which I didn't—I did, my mind didn't know anything about, and it was just golden and vast, and my body started to fall over. People had to actually keep me upright because so much mystical stuff was going on that I, I really left my body and was in the earth, and I just felt 
wave after wave after wave of very strong charges of energy coming through my whole body. And then as soon as like it, it just stopped and then I was back in my body again going, whoa, what just happened? And then I continued around. But I feel like it was one of those turning point times in your life where you just get so filled with Shakti and you get given the next bit of your life, your mission, whatever, upgraded, I suppose. And every time I go back there, stuff like that happens every time. It's just amazing. And it's very initiatory. So these are special places and I love the mythology. I mean, the mythology is kind of weird in a way, but it's you just see all these bits of the goddess. And so he, the one we go to is her sacrum fell to earth there. Her, her womb actually fell to earth at this place. And I always feel it's very, very, very special because that's, you know, where she gives birth to everything. I think it was her heart and womb both fell in this one place. And it's like, whoa. So um, if you're ever in India and you have the opportunity to go to Shakti Pithas, P-E-E-T-H-A, Pitha. And Pitha means place, basically, Shakti place. And they all have big temples on them now. They're in guidebooks. You know, this is a Shakti Pitha, one of the 51 places where Sati's body fell to earth. So they're amazing. And then I found out later that the night before um, Shiva married Sati, they had, Shiva had stayed at this temple, is the legend. Yeah, and I thought, how sweet is that, you know, just really cool. So that's Rudra, the howler, Shiva destroying things. Another of his names is Nilkant. And Nilkant came about because in this diagram what's happening is on one end you've got the angels, the angels are up here and the demons are down here. And this is Mount Maru, which is similar to Kailash. And this snake that's wrapped around it is being pulled this way and then that way to turn the mountain so the mountain becomes like a butter churn that's churning the cosmic ocean like the astral field. And it's churning light and dark, light and dark. So the angels pull one way, churn. The demons pull the other way, churn. Light and dark, light and dark. And that's happening to us every day of our lives, in case you haven't noticed. There's always someone or something that's pulling you to be the best you can be. And there's always something else that's pulling you to say, screw that, you know, I'm over that, I'm giving up, I'm just, you know, yeah, going to have a whinge. And you know what I mean, don't you? That you're not at your best at those times. And so churn, churn, churn. So life is about the churn. And we need these beings of light and dark to help us churn. It's also saying what happens to our kundalini because the snake, the Adi Shakti, always is referenced to our kundalini. And the kundalini is a bit like a snake that comes up through the body and comes right up to the crown and then gives us these amazing experiences and expands our consciousness. So when our consciousness starts to expand, when we've churned, 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 we're going to vomit some poison in the process of that expansion. It's going to come out one way or another. And you, you probably have experienced that in your path of growth, sometimes leaving something to start something else is not elegant and there's a bit of vomiting going on. Blech. You may also have noticed that when you're on a genuine spiritual path that actually has Shakti in it, that you're actually transforming, you go through phases where you feel like you're accelerating and you're so full of bliss and then after that will come a time of processing where you're having to 
turn, churn that through your life and you feel terrible, emotions are coming up, old stuff seems to be shifting, it doesn't feel pleasant. That's the poison. That's what we're getting rid of. And the thing to do when that poison's coming up is call on Shiva as Nilkanth. And Nilkanth means blue throat, blue throat. So he drank the poison of when all the ancient angels and demons were churning the great ocean and he drank all the resulting poison, which nearly killed him, and his wife, Parvati or Durga, grabbed him by the throat and would, wouldn't let the poison go any further down in him and it turned him blue in this region and it's said that if he hadn't drunk that poison, the world would have been destroyed. So that's what Shiva's like. So this is in spirituality of any kind, of any tradition, this concept is such an important one that I'd like to illustrate it. Imagine that that is the pillar of consciousness itself. Not just a blue line, it's a pillar of consciousness. So up here is unconditional love, wisdom, bliss. So that's at the top. And down the bottom is shame. And then all the other states of consciousness we could possibly be in are there. And in our lives, somewhere, you know, you can say that we have an average vibration at any given time. Vibration means we're moving, but there's an average. And just say your average vibration in your life is here, somewhere here. And then you want to come to here. You would like your life to improve. At this level, life looks like this. This is what life looks like. So some of it's good, some of it's bad, and it's the way that it is. But if you're prepared to sacrifice that, you can have this. So it's like when you're renovating your bathroom at home, you have to destroy the old bathroom to make the new bathroom, don't you? You can't say, but I really like that bathroom. I put that in 10 years ago and I have a lot of deep sentimental attachment to that bathroom, so I'd like to keep that bathroom and have a new one in the same place. It's like, well, you can't, you idiot, you can't. <laughs> so here we are, we're going to spit out some poison and then we're going to reformulate our life pretty much here. We might visit there sometimes, but basically we're living here now. So between this level of consciousness that becomes concretized as our world that we live in and this level of consciousness where we were, there's a gap. Something's got to be done to close that gap or we're staying here. The beings of light and dark are going churn, churn, churn at this level. Something helps us get up here. And the something in this particular tradition is called Shiva. Shiva is the pillar of consciousness and he'll drink the poison to allow us to destroy this life so we can set up this life. Who's been through those destruction experiences in your life to come out of it in another place? Yeah. So you're familiar with the work of Lord Shiva. And so at different times I'm guided to do a whole lot of Shiva practices and um, for many years I studied with Shaivite gurus and I found it very helpful because it's so pure and so strong and powerful, the Shiva essence, and it puts you in bliss. You know, the, the Shiva energy is blissful, but to, to get this poison drunk is quite an amazing thing. So Shiva ended up getting married again to Mother Parvati. There's a very long story about that. 
and they had two offspring. One was Ganesha and the other was Karatakaya. Ganesha is the elephant-headed god. So she is the, the one who cut his head off. His vehicle, all the gods have a vehicle. And the vehicle is here is a bull. And think about a bull. What are the qualities that you associate with bulls? Stubbornness, someone said. Strength, that'll do, stubbornness and strength. So the strength of the bull, but also the stubbornness, that bull will go anywhere and is unstoppable with Shiva on it. But the thing is that Shiva completely controls it. When I see these images, I think of our higher soul as being the god and I think of our ego as being the animal. So like Durga light rides a lion. And so Durga is like the higher soul. The lion is the qualities that she's taming. So the wild destructiveness of the lion or the anger, the rage, the got to be the king, got to be the one in charge. She's able to tame all that and make that an instrument of her will. And that's in the end what we're doing, that our higher soul comes and completely controls and integrates the energy of the ego so that the most positive and beneficial parts of the ego is what we're left with. That instead of being a lump of coal, our ego becomes a diamond. Nataraj is another of Shiva's names. And Nataraj is the cosmic dancer. And he dances and plays a drum. And it's said that as he dances and plays the drum, everything in creation marches to the beat of that drum. You know, it's the cosmic dancer. The last form of Shiva that we'll talk about is when he's half Parvati and half Shiva, Ardhanareshvara. So Eshvara means God. And Ardhana is this half male, half female. So you'll see that Shiva's bull is here, Durga's lion is there, there's Durga's arm and hip and leg, and Shiva's half of his body. So I love this image because it speaks to me really a lot about how I perceive the infinite, you know, that you can't separate the masculine and the feminine and that it's just all together. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com. I need to-